You're listening to Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists, sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division. And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor. We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources. All right. Well, we're back with another podcast of Better Fishing with the two bald biologists, and Ben is right beside me. How you doing, Ben? Good morning. Good to see you. Well, today we're talking about mountain trout in North Carolina. Sounds exciting to me. Is it exciting to you? It's actually really exciting to me because of all the fishing that I've done, I've probably had the least amount of exposure to mountain trout fishing. So I'm kind of interested in seeing what Jake is going to tell us today and see how I can utilize that information into what I do. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's the one area that I don't fish the most in the state. And so basically today, Jake, you are dealing with two morons when it comes to mountain trout fishing. So you got to tell us all about it. So today we got Jake Rash from the mountains. Jake, tell us all about yourself. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion and don't sell yourself too short. You probably know more than, than you're leading on. Literally can of corn and a hook. That's me when it comes to mountain trout. Maybe we got some work to do. There you go. Yeah, I think we can help you out. Yeah, I'm Jake Rash. I work with the Wildlife Resources Commission here in the or in the mountains of North Carolina. And as you said, the the world of trout. And pretty fortunate to be doing that. So we're working with with all those cold waters across the mountains in the western part of the state and yeah, like we talked about, I'll try to share a little bit of what I know and maybe help us catch more fish. Good deal. Well, shall we begin? Let's start. I think maybe one thing we need to start with is like, what's the big deal? Like, why trout? What's that important? Yeah, why do I care? <laughs> I mean, trout fishermen know, but, you know, we've got a large portion of North Carolina that either knows there's trout and doesn't investigate it or just does their own thing kind of in the coast in the Piedmont and don't really think about fishing in the mountains, you know. So what's great about trout? Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, for one thing, trout are always and have been tied to mountain trout, mountain trout in North Carolina. I know y'all spend some time around the coast, so uh, there's some other sea trout out there. Not the same thing. Totally different. Okay, totally so we've different. got that yeah, figured yeah, out. Yeah, that's a big one. And they're not even in the same family. They're no, not even cousins. No, no, yeah. no. So we're talking about up high in the hills, and for North Carolina, that's the western part of the state. And so one of the things that makes trout and trout fishing such a big deal and so appealing to everybody is you know kind of where they're at. You get a chance to get out of Piedmont or even drive up from the coast. And, and we actually see a lot of people that come from out of state come fish for trout in North Carolina as well. So you're, for one, heading to some really cool places. A lot of those are vacation areas and destinations. And it's kind of always been like that through the evolution of trout fishing, people traveling to the mountains to fish for them. And that's sort of the traveling tourist side of things. But if you're from the mountains of North Carolina, trout fishing is a really big deal, too, because you've grown up doing it. You've gone with your family. You know stories about brook trout up in the hollers, and you, you really know these resources. So 
it's just an awesome place to be. But not only that, North Carolina is really fortunate to have a large number of waters. And the waters that the Wildlife Resources Commission manages were well over 5,000 miles and several thousand acres of impoundments. So there's a ton of water. And within that, there's a lot of diversity too. And so you can fish for, for stock trout various ways. And there's also a bunch of trout that reproduce on their own in our waters. So you can chase those, those wild trout wherever you want, including climbing up mountains, and getting to remote areas and kind of being by yourself and connecting to nature. So that's a really long answer to say there's a lot tied into trout and a lot of opportunities for folks to explore. So explain to people stock trout versus wild trout, because that's kind of what we hear a lot of in our jobs, you know, the differences between stock trout and wild trout, but a lot of people probably don't know that. Yeah, for sure. As an agency, we're stocking about a million trout a year. So that means we're producing these fish in a hatchery, growing them out. We're stocking fish that are about 10 and a half inches on average, and 4% of those are over 14 inches. So putting some big fish out when we're stocking. And those are going to places where the fish really can't grow and reproduce on their own. Those are your wild fish. Those are the wild populations that are doing that. And so we're looking to stock waters. We have two big programs that do that, the late harvest of trout waters, hatchery-supported trout waters, and really providing those sort of seasonal opportunities, meaning just certain times of year where the water is cold enough to support those trout for anglers. And now. The other parts of the year, we have these waters where the trout can grow on their own, reproduce on their own, and keep these fisheries going where, where folks have got fish to go after and target pretty much all year long. And for North Carolina, that's a lot of water. Oh, we got a lot of those waters. So we're stocking trout in areas that they can't normally exist without stocking. And that's not something that's unique to trout. I mean, we do that with striped bass and some of our reservoirs and a few other fish like that. But trout is probably the biggest example of that happening in North Carolina, correct? It's pretty high profile, yeah. With over a million fish and a lot of the work that we've done, kind of going back to the first question, why is this a, a big deal? Uh, we see a lot of people who travel from really the urban Piedmont to come up to the mountains and fish for those. And there's a big cultural part of it, too. Opening day is the first Saturday in April for hatchery-supported trout waters. And that's a really big deal to a lot of folks. Families plan trips, vacations. They got stories to tell about when they went with their parents to hit those waters. And so those sort of seasons and events are kind of baked in to trout fishing. So a little bit of a science nerd moment. Can you explain to us why, why we have stocked fish and we're stocking fish? What makes it where we can't have them year-round in those areas, but in other areas of the mountains, we actually do have them year-round. So can you tell us the environmental factors that might go into that? Yeah, you nailed it with the environment, and that's what it's all about. So what we are looking for is habitat. All fish have certain habitat requirements, and trout are some of the pickiest, right? They need really clean, cold water to live. And so not everywhere has that all year round. And so what we can do is take advantage of those places where it happens seasonally, like, you know, through the winter, early spring, those times of years. And that's when we stock because the water isn't cool enough for them to last all year round. And so we can come in those certain times of year and put fish in. And then, you know, as those waters start to warm, 
that's where the harvest component comes in, meaning people can take fish and we're able to to get those fisheries going. You know, I know a lot of fishermen, they kind of watch water temperature a lot, and that's a big factor in what they're looking for. You know, and for me, I'm up down to the coast. We see summertime water temperatures that are 90 degrees, sometimes even better than that. Obviously, a trout can't hack that. But what are the summertime water temperatures that trout can deal with? Yeah, and that's a really good question. A general cutoff for us, we're not going to stock you know anything that's over 70, 68 is really a good Fahrenheit. So about where you want to be for a higher tolerance, upper limit for these things. So pretty picky, right? It was 30 degrees difference in my summertime fishing and your summertime fishing. That's impressive. Yeah. If you're hunting trout in the summer, you're really talking kind of heading up higher headwater systems where it just stays cooler all year round. So, yeah, temperature is a big deal for trout, for sure. So let's go backwards a little bit because we didn't really talk about, we're calling them trout. How many trout do we have? Like what species of trout do we have? We didn't even talk about that. Is it trout or trouts? It might be trouts. I mean, I don't know why we call them trouts or trout because in my world, trout is speckled trout on the coast. You got to get away from that. I know I do. I know it. I'm sorry. I went off track. I apologize. Now we'll broaden your horizons today. This is good. I mean, I know they're there. I've caught them in the past. Yeah. Well, it's a struggle for me. It's okay. That's why you're here. That's all right. We're going to get through this. So we've got really, there's three. And so there's one that's native. That's brook trout. So it's the only trout that's native to North Carolina and to the eastern U.S. And then we also have rainbow trout who were brought over from the western United States. Those first fish were probably brought over in about 1885-ish, about that time frame. And so since that time, they've been moved around pretty frequently. And then we have brown trout, which came over from, from Europe in the early 1900s. Our best guess is right around the the 1920s is when they first arrived. And so those comprise the three main trout species that we've got here in North Carolina. Which one gets the biggest? That's what all fishermen want to know. That's what we want to know right there. Yeah. Well, brown trout can get pretty big. What's pretty big? Well, it's not uncommon to see one over 20 inches. Oh, wow. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. If you've got the right conditions, you can you can grow big brown trout. So universally, they're the ones that get large. But if I was prepared and showed up for a podcast with the state records in front of me, I could tell you exactly how Just generalities will be fine. <laughs> big they get. But in general, you'll see those brown trout get pretty big. Rainbow trout can also can get get well over 20 inches, multiple pounds. So that's very important because, you know, a lot of the comments that I hear being a down east boy is that, you know, why am I going to drive all that far for something that can't even pull drag? And it sounds like these fish potentially would definitely be large enough and strong enough to be interesting to just about any angler. Yeah, without a doubt. And it all kind of goes back to that habitat too. That's another thing that makes trout really fascinating is you could be in a small creek you could be in a big river, like the, the tail race below Lake James, which is near Morganton, North Carolina. And so when you get in those bigger systems like there, you can get into really large brown trout. And so you're fighting current, you're fighting big fish that are used to living in strong current, and they can absolutely pull drag. And even, you know, believe it or not, you head up to those higher elevation waters chasing brook trout. But if you see one that's six inches, it's not going to pull much drag. 
but you got to adjust too. You can scale down and use like a one or two weight fly rod or something really small. So you're kind of, you're adjusting to them as well. So you kind of set your own drag and set that experience. So you talked about fly rods and that's, I think a lot of people assume that people who trout fish are fly fishermen, but that's not always the case, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I've caught them on a fly and I've caught them on a cane pole. Yeah. Yeah. So the full spectrum of angling options. It's there. It absolutely doesn't have to be a fly rod. That's kind of one of the maybe misconceptions or impediments to, you know, some folks might be worried about trying to get into the sport, thinking that they've got a master of fly rod. You just don't. You know, there's been many a trout caught on a spinning rod using artificials, you know, whatever, trout magnets. I believe, you know, Corey likes to use corn he mentioned earlier. Well, I mean, you know, that was in my childhood. I have (laughs) upped my game a little bit since then. But yeah, I mean, for me, I'm pretty much going to be a spinning rod guy. I'm not going to be a fly rod guy. One, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, I did fly rod at home when I was a child doing sunfish, but it's a totally different experience doing that with trout. Well, so I grew up in uh, Piedmont in North Carolina, and I fished for bluehead chubs with a cane pole. That's what I did. and That's awesome. Yeah. Bluehead chubs with a cane pole. Yeah. I love that. First time on Baldhead Biologist <laughs> Podcast, bluehead right. chub fish. We're going to have you back to we're talk about have, that. Yeah, it's going to be all bluehead chub. I mean, we're going to have to fill a podcast with bluehead chubs, so be prepared. I may have to bring some help. Yeah. Cane poles and bluehead chubs. I love that. But that, you know... It's a very similar experience. It's awesome, but yeah. it's similar. Yeah. And like most fishing industries, trout fishing is not immune to trends either. And so here in the last couple of years, these Tenkara rods have come onto the scene, which are, you know, pretty... Like if a cane pole and a fly yeah. rod had a... Had another rod. Had a child. Yes. <laughs> had, a, had a telescoping child that you could just carry around in a backpack. It's the same thing. You're dabbling, you're taking flies, and they're cool because you they're longer than the cane poles that I used fishing for chubs. But you can reach and, and cover water, and it's not intimidating at all. And I think it's cool because it's a way for folks to get in, and they don't feel like they have to buy an expensive fly rod. For my fishing, I will. The other thing I'd like to say is we just learned that Jake is going to compare his whole angling experience to chub fishing as a youth. So, so, yeah, everything he catches from here on is pretty much a win. Is it better or worse yeah. than chub fishing? Yeah. Which is an interesting comparison. So that's something I learned new about Jake right now, which is great. But what I was going to say is as a fisherman, I'm not a purist anything. I think you have some guys that are like, all I want to do is catch fish on top water. All I want to do is fly fish. All I want to do is this one certain technique. And if you want to catch fish, and when I leave the house at the beginning of the day, my goal is to catch fish. And if I have to, if I can catch them on a fly rod, great. If I can catch them on artificial, awesome. If I can catch them on top water, awesome. But I have no problems with using live or dead bait if that's what it takes. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of like eating really, really, really hot, hot wings. You say you did it and nobody cares, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day for me... <laughs> yeah, good for you. I'm glad you accomplished your goal. Yeah, you at know? the end of the day, it's about catching a fish. But it's more important to catch fish, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, if you go all day and use a fly rod and you don't catch anything, for me, personally, I'm not bored to death, but it's like, 
well, I probably could have done something now, different. Actually, if you caught go a out fish. there and you slay them on day one, and you want to up the ante on day two, I get that. Yeah. And that you yeah, know, I but understand. still, I think as a, a lot of anglers, the more versatile you can be, the more successful you can be. Absolutely. As well. so, and that's not trout specific. That's fishing in general. Yeah. Well, that is for sure what trout fishing brings you. Like you got a chance to be versatile. I'm in that camp too. I like to catch fish and I'll use a spinning rod, whatever it takes. And I like my fly rod. And I think one thing is pretty common with a lot of folks, particularly if you're kind of calling blue lining, looking for those thin blue wild lines on the map, is if you're in the middle of nowhere throwing a little fly rod, like you really got to slow down. You've kind of left your world wherever behind you and it's just you and just you're trying to be really connected with where you're at. So it's kind of a big overall experience. But again, you don't have to do that. You can do whatever you want and get out there. It's really not that intimidating. So you talked about blue lines. I want to extrapolate on that a little bit, but let's take, before we get there, let's take a step back a little bit. I live east of Raleigh. How far west do I have to drive to catch a trout, a stock trout? A ways. That's a little minute, but that's what I'm asking. Yeah. So our program's in the western 26 counties in North Carolina. That's a pretty good haul for you, but it's worth it, right? And so you'll be in the car a couple hours. And no, I've already decided I'm going. Okay. I just need to know how far. If I'm planning the shortest possible trip for success, how far do I have to go west? Don't give me a secret honey hole. Just say you need to be in line with Charlotte. I was trying to think of like, Barbecue restaurants to send you to, like to get you away from my favorite honey hole. But yeah, you could do that. I'm not going <laughs> to eat East Western North Carolina barbecue because I'm an Eastern guy, but that's a whole separate podcast. You no, know, that's a good point. I shouldn't go there. Wow. Down a road. Yeah. I'll take, sure. I'll take that back. But I do support vinegar on my barbecue if that helps me. Here, I like so. good barbecue okay. of all styles. All right. Yeah. Just look at us. We definitely like barbecue. Yeah. I didn't want to say anything, but totally you guys are. You got the faces for, you know, radio. For a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. Back to where we're supposed to be. Maybe one of the closer places for you will be one of our delayed harvest trout waters, which is great because like this time of year, we're stocking about 150 fish per acre. And those are going to be kind of, there are some deeper in the mountains, but there are many that are in a little lower elevations, which means they're going to be closer. To the Piedmont. And on our webpage, ncwildlife.org, we have maps of where the trout locations are, correct? That's right. And not only maps, but if you go to ncwildlife.org slash trout, that map is interactive. So you can crawl around and search and look for waters that you might be interested in. Plus, you can get driving directions. And so whether than me try to tell you where all the barbecue places are, you can literally click where you want to go. It'll give you driving directions and routes, and you can plan your trip accordingly. And that's something we hear from anglers about a lot. So, like, my in-laws live near uh, Granite Falls, so I can pull up that trout map and see where's some trout water that's just beyond where they live. Totally. And weasel in a trout trip while we're up there seeing the grandparents. Yeah, absolutely. And it even you can get a radius around where you're at, so 50, 100 miles, what have you. And not only that, is we also share information about, you know, when we stock also. So you can, and we hope you do, plan your trips 
around that information available so that you have the best trip possible. So one more follow-up question, since we've talked about there being a little bit of a breakdown between the rainbows and the browns and the brooks. Like if I said, okay, we'll make a plan this weekend, how much further into these mountain counties do you think I have to go before I have a decent shot at a brook trout? In generalities, because I know we've got the map too, so I can look at, is brook trout a distinction on that map as well? No, it's not separated out. And so what we're stocking is a ratio of all three species. So if we're stocking, you got a good chance of running into one. To get in the weeds, we're stocking about 40% brook trout, 40% rainbow, and 20% brown trout. But if you want one of these wild, native, self-sustaining brook trout population, you'll have to drive a little farther because most of them are up higher, over about 3,000 feet in elevation. Okay, so I'm a flatland boy. We can't even find any point for my kids to sled around miles. What elevation would those brook trout start to occur? Or is there a distinction like that? Yeah, it averages out about 3,000 feet. And it's cool now because you can look that stuff up on your phone and that kind of stuff. So you know if you're in the right vicinity relatively easy. It is, yeah. And that's, at this point, they're kind of above. And there's some below there. That's just about the average. And so that that gets us in the ballpark of where they're at. And that's they're above these natural barriers and high in the headwaters. The very top of those watersheds that ultimately a drop of water will land will find its way towards where y'all are at down the coast. So backing up just a bit, we've talked a lot about hatchery-supported and delayed harvest waters. And those are kind of the two major stocking programs for trout. Am I correct in assuming that? Those are the big ones. Okay, those are the big ones. Tell us the difference between what a hatchery-supported water is when it has that designation versus a delayed harvest, because that might be important to our folks that are fishing. Certainly, and those are our two big ones where most of our stock trout are going. And we'll start with delayed harvest first. Delayed harvest waters are you know, kind of as the name implies, where that harvest is kind of paused, this delayed. And so for part of the year, October through the first Saturday in June, it's catch and release only, single hook, artificial lure, catch and release. And and also on the ncwildlife.org slash trout, you can find further descriptions of these regs and, and also some of these terms like lure, fly, all that is on there as well. And so delayed harvest, we're stocking trout, so half the year it's catch and release. And then as those waters start to warm, it opens up to harvest, meaning people can take fish that first Saturday in June. And actually that first half of that day, it's youth only. So it's a great time to get kids out, and they're going to be the only ones who should be fishing out there. And then it's people can harvest fish until October. Hatchery-supported trout waters, they're your traditional you know, what biologists call put-and-take fisheries, meaning you're putting those fish in and then people take them out. They have the opportunity to harvest them and take them out. Those are really open all year round except for essentially March when they close in preparation for that opening day, which is the first Saturday in April. So obviously we have all kinds of trout opportunities across the western part of North Carolina that take home to our anglers. And for folks that have never done it before, is if you want to know what body of water is what, you really need to go to our website, kind of figure out if it's hatchery supported, if it's wild trout, because there's different rules and regulations. We won't get into that, but there's different rules and regulations to every designation that comes with trout, correct? That's right. You know, there are a couple more that we haven't talked about yet. But 
for sure, ncwildlife.org slash trout is just a great way to explore. And I, I really encourage people to do that and to learn more about the program, what opportunities are around. And if they've got specific questions, to submit those through ultimately the website or reach out because our staff you are, can email us. That's right. Can email us and we'll figure out the answer. Two bald biologists at ncwildlife.org and we'll find you an answer. One Absolutely. Way, we'll probably send the question directly to Jake yeah. and saddle him with it. But In uh, fact, I know that's what we will do. It's not probably. It is. We will send the question directly to Jake. But we'll be happy to ferret out that answer for you. That's not a problem. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because we totally understand the questions and potential confusion. And that's the last thing. we. Anybody who's working with trout, any fish biologist, we kind of, we followed this career, this path because of a passion. And we know that if somebody's willing to email us or call us or has a question, they're sharing that. We want to make sure we help. No, that's great. And we do want folks to catch more fish. But I've got a question since Jake's been patient with us. And, you know, he's the biologist. I know he wants to wear his biologist hat a little bit more. What are the conservation concerns for trout in North Carolina? What are the problems that the commission is trying to tackle? What are the things that are on our radar? What projects do we have going on right now? All that kind of thing. Just give us kind of an update of what you're doing other than providing what seems to me to be excellent angling opportunities. But I know there's always conservation concerns as well. Yeah, we're really working hard to keep the fish here to make sure folks can go fish for them. And to do that, it really starts with habitat, working to make sure and working with partners to help work to, you know, we've talked a lot early on about the needs that clean, cold water the trout have. And, you know, one of the challenges that they, that they face is keeping that. So working with partners, which is another great thing about trout fishing is everybody in trout resources in general are folks really try to work together, like working with, say, Trout Unlimited, private landowners, Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture, just to name a few, U.S. Forest Service, National Park Service, you name it. We're all working collaboratively to help ensure that we can help conserve those waters and habitats where these trout live to keep them here for future generations. And so that's one of the big things, and folks probably don't realize it, but one of the bigger impacts sources of pollution and trout waters is really sediment and so uh, a lot of work to help ensure landscapes are kind of where they need to be to help the waters themselves so aside from you know working on the habitat with partners we do a lot of work on the fish themselves we need to know how the populations are doing so we do a lot of surveys to sample them we do a lot of work reaching out to anglers we want to know what anglers think what they're interested in to make sure the work that we're doing lines up with their goals and, and values. So really, there's a lot of effort underway. So I know that trout are pretty sensitive fish. What are some things that we can tell our anglers that are listening that they can do to help protect trout? You know, there's disease-related issues at times and those kinds of things. Like if I go fishing up there and I get done, what should I be doing with my gear? Is there are there things I should be doing to help? Yeah. The one thing that the folks can do on that front, because disease issues are a big one, a couple of high-profile things over the last couple of years that we've dealt with are, are sort of four basic principles, and that's clean your gear as best you can, drain it, let it dry, and then never, ever move fish, 
plants, animals, mud between one body of water and another. Those are kind of basic steps you can take to help protect against those unwanted aquatic nuisance species or what they're commonly And that's good across North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Same principle. Yep, same principle. And additionally with trout and brook trout in particular, there's also a license plate that's available for purchase through the North Carolina DMV where the funds for native brook trout come back to the commission where we put it back into that conservation work, which I didn't talk about earlier, but there's a lot of in-stream habitat work where we're trying to improve passage and reconnect parts of streams so that these fish have essentially bigger homes to help them persist. So those are just two basic things that folks might consider. We're kind of getting long in the tooth here, so I'm going to close this down, but I've got two questions. The first one is, what else do we need to know about trout? Make sure we've covered everything Jake wants us to know about. Is there anything that we've missed that you you want to make sure we get out to the audience? We've covered a lot of ground, so I really appreciate it. I'll just sort of reinforce revisiting that ncwildlife.org slash trout. Sort of, it's a one-stop shop, all things trout. Uh, take a look, and we're working hard on content. And we're going to have some really cool videos soon of us sampling and kind of see some of that work. I talked about how we check on the fish, underwater videos, and again, just to explore, to try it. If you've got an interest in trout fishing, just try it. Give it a shot. And if you've got questions, send you guys an email. My last question, and I don't want you to tell me your secret bait, but of the commonly found trout baits, if you had to have one just good all-purpose, just about any tackle shop, what would you suggest? Pink trout magnet. Pink trout magnet. Everybody writing that down right now and Googling it just so they can make sure they found one. Yeah, if it's a trout. It'll probably eat that. Those will be real good for your, especially your hatchery support and delayed harvest waters. And if I'm, and you'll throw that off your spinning rod. And now if I'm, you could probably try something with the fly rod, but it'll be harder. It'll work better with the cast and float or weight off a spinning rod. And if I've got my fly rod, I'm always carrying either elk caracatus or if I'm looking deeper water, let's go with the olive woolly booger. Those would be my go-tos. All right. So everybody's frantically searching the Googles for that. And apparently all trout like pink is what I just learned. That's what I learned. Because my eastern trout like pink as well. They do like pink. I will tell you, there's a cheat sheet on that same website I keep plugging. There's a real cool hatch chart that we made with Trout Unlimited that shows you what to use, what times of year. So that's awesome. Great. So it does shift throughout the year. It does, yeah. That's great. And there's a guide and a resource there on the page. Absolutely. To visit that. So that's great. So we'll plug it one more time since you brought it up. It's ncwildlife.org slash trout and a bunch of good information on there. And if even stream conditions, what the waters are like before you go. And if there's something on there that you need to know and you can't find, I'll ask folks to find me and then do that through y'all, I guess. Sounds good. That sounds good. Well, we appreciate you being here, man. It was uh, awesome. Yeah. Learned a lot today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Cool. I'm ready to go catch a trout. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening in to North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's Talking Fishing with Two Bald Biologists podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us online at ncwildlife.org. If you have questions or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at twobaldbiologist at ncwildlife.org.